I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Debbie Chin Morris, author of We Used to Dance, Loving Judy, My Disabled Twin. Debbie and Judy are twins, but Judy was born with cerebral palsy and Debbie was not. Despite the severity of Judy's brain damage, her parents chose to keep her at home with her three siblings well into adulthood. Her care was augmented by a succession of home attendants until her doctor told Debbie that Judy's care at home was wanting and she would not survive without nursing home care. Debbie Chin Morris tells of the emotional trauma she experienced when she was forced to place her sister, a sister unable to sit, stand, use a bathroom, or make her needs met in a new and strange environment. Uh, This is a memoir of love, grief, and guilt, and ultimately acceptance. Debbie has master's degrees from Queens College, Hofstra University, and Bank Street College of Education. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Debbie. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. We are here to hear your story and to, I, I guess, start from the beginning when you and your twin, when Judy was born, what happened at birth? Because she, she, as I described, uh, she was severely disabled and you were not, and you were born, what, five minutes apart? Yeah. So what happened? Yeah. What happened during the birth process? Um, well, evidently I was, um, scheduled to be born first. Uh, we were all in position and everything. And then at the last minute, Judy dropped down in front of me and she was born breech with, uh, the cord wrapped around her neck and, um, deprived her of oxygen. And from what my mother told me, um, the doctors in this, we're, I'm 71 now, so this goes back a lot of years. Um, they didn't know as much as they do now. They didn't have the equipment, the um, technology that they have now. So, um, But the doctor said that they thought that her um, umbilical cord had had been damaged already. So <clears throat> there was going to be some damage, but the birth and the cord wrapped around her neck just added to the to that. And so she was... Uh, very severely disabled. Uh, she was severely disabled. You're the healthy twin. Uh, you have other siblings, uh, and you obviously you 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 bring you both go home, and your sister is at home. And what I mean in the beginning, of course, you're not aware that your sister is disabled. You're a baby, right? So, right. Um, yeah. I mean, and your parents, you know, obviously there's a, a as caregivers, there's an more enormous amount of emotional stuff I'm sure that happens and or happen. Let's talk about that and at what point you were aware that, hey, my sister is different. You know, I'm the healthy one. She's not. It's an interesting question. Um, in my recollection, we never talked about it. <laughs> so um, there was never a time when someone, ex- I don't remember anyone explaining to me um, until I was much older, that what happened at birth. But as a child, I don't think it was ever actually explicitly said to me, oh, you, you're going to be able to do this, but Judy's not. Um, it just kind of took it for granted that this is the way she was. This was our life. This was, I was the way I was. She was the way she was. And I definitely was aware that she couldn't do the things that I could do as, as we grew. 
And I just remember, you know, like being around maybe seven years old or something, um, where I used to wish that, um, you know, I could fix her and wish that if, if, we, if we changed places, that was one of my big fantasies, that if we changed places, I could um, then use what I knew previously from knowing how to walk and talk and all those things, and she would then be okay and be able to do all those things, and I would be able to teach myself. So I was obviously aware that she, as a child, that she couldn't um, do what I could do, but I really can't say at what point that happened, that awareness came. I don't know. It just suddenly, maybe one day I realized, oh, she's not going to be able to walk like I, I imagine I was quite young, but I don't have that recollection of actually knowing. But your parents, I mean, here, your parents have a set of twins who are obviously very different. And uh, I'm really you know, as a social worker, what was the emotional environment in, in your family? Like your parents are, te- I assume, are reacting to you differently than your sister. Do they expect you to take care of her? Do they expect you to protect her? Or are they, you know, what? I, I kind of want to get the family dynamics, what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Judy was just treated as one of the family. Obviously, she needed care and she couldn't You know, she needed to be fed, she needed to be clothed, she needed to be um, diapered. Uh, She couldn't do any of the things that, you know, as a child growing up, you learn how to do. But other than that, she was really treated as a member of the family. And and we just, we spoke to her like like anybody else. Um, In a sense, I mean, she got privileges that we maybe didn't get. You know, she was watched, had her favorite TV shows, so those were the ones that we watched. Um, her, her schedule, her routine was very, um, specific. So she, although my mother was somewhat routinized herself, but, um, she ate at a certain hour and, um, you know, had her, she had her, her breakfast, she had her medication hour. She had, um, a time when she had milk in the afternoon, you know, there was a very definite routine and, um, and so I guess I, I grew up somewhat in this routine. But other than that, I think she, um, sorry, the lawnmower people are out here. Yeah. Can you still hear me okay? <laughs> I can hear you. I'm I trying. can't hear the lawnmower okay, people, good. so that's good. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, uh, but but so, you, so well, getting really back to oh, you had was. your routine and everybody kind of accepted the routine. And of course, this is in the 50s and this is the way it is. And there are probably not too, no one thought about other, I'm assuming, and you can respond to this, other options. I know, you know, today if something goes wrong, something goes wrong at birth, uh, uh, people actually, many, I'm going to sue the doctor. I'm going to sue the hospital. I'm going to, you know, try to find, you know, d- Often that happens. Obviously, that mm-hmm. wasn't the case. It was just an acceptance of this is our family and this is who we are. But what about your friend? I mean, friends. Um, you know, I've grown up with uh, friends who's had uh, sometimes parents, sometimes siblings who have been disabled, and the response from the outside world is not always so kind and accepting and understanding, and so. My question I, I don't remember yeah. ever having, I mean, my friends accepted her. Um, I don't remember ever having to explain to them or, or any kind of uh, feeling like they 
didn't accept her, you know, if she was, when they came over to play, if she was in the room, then, you know, she was part of the group in, in, the, in the sense that she could be part of the group. Um, she would watch, you know, and, and whatever we played, she would watch. And I had, you know, if we were playing a game, I included her and I would play for her, basically. Um, I don't, you know, recall any kind of negative um, emotions or feelings about, you know, the fact that she wasn't like everybody else. What I got was when we went out to places were a lot of stares, um, you know, staring, people staring at her, uh, somebody different. It, at, don't forget, this is in the 50s and um, 60s, and there weren't as many disabled people around. A lot of my, my parents had the, you know, option, I guess, when, when Judy was born and we realized this, they realized the severity of her disability of putting her into an institution and they chose not to. They chose to keep her at home, thankfully. Um, so, but that wasn't the, the practice of, uh, in general. And it was very rare to see someone in a wheelchair, no less as, as disabled as Judy was. And so we got a lot of people staring. But yeah. So in other words, it sounds like it was more curiosity, not necessarily animosity, but just curiosity, curious because yes. they, uh, which, and people are curious, but you know, I started mm-hmm. out and I was, I was describing you and describing your, the book and it, as a personal memoir of love, grief, and guilt, and ultimately acceptance. So I, I'm hearing the love and the, your love and your and of siblings and your family. It's um, let, let's talk about the grief though. Where did the grief come from? And your guilt uh, uh, and ultimate ultimate acceptance. Um, well, the guilt. I mean, I think I had the guilt all through my life. The fact that I was the, the healthy one and she was the one, the disabled one, and couldn't do what I could do. Um, so I think there was guilt there. I don't think I recognized the guilt until I was um, an adult. And then, I, you know, I may recognize some of my, where my feelings came from. And, and also I had a lot of, um, I think as an adult, I looked back and said, oh, you know, no wonder I'm so insecure <laughs> because <laughs> I probably didn't get the attention that I needed, <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um So it was that recognition of the impact that she had on my life, which I didn't really realize as I was growing up. Um, The guilt, the real guilt of the book came from when I, when she had to go into a home and I felt that um, I was the one doing this. I was the one who had set it up. I was the one who spoke to the doctor and I was the one who um, created the situation where she no longer could be at home because I wasn't, on top of things the way I might have been. I mean, I, my mother was living with her at home, and my mother at that point was past 90 already, and she really, I, I didn't recognize that my mother was not able to properly watch what was going on and, and oversee the attendance. And I did know that the attendance, we once had wonderful attendance, home attendance for Judy, and then they just started really not um, doing a very good job. And, um, I wasn't on top of that. I, I want to interrupt you because so, I want you say you yeah. weren't on top of it and you had your own family and you were I, I'm making the assumption, taking their, care of them and you had your husband. 
what more could you have done? Truthfully, not much, probably. <laughs> but um, but that, that didn't help, you know, that didn't alleviate my guilt feeling yeah. that I didn't pay as much attention and I should have paid more attention. And um, so so that's where a lot of the guilt came from. And, um, and I think this is into- a common theme. I mean, this is a common theme, especially today, because people are living longer and living at home and more people with disabilities and the whole issue of caregiving. So I think that's one of the reasons why your book is so important, because people are, and I'm going to use the word stuck sometimes, feeling that they have to, you know, whether it's for a sibling or a parent or as parents are growing older, all of it's, it's a huge issue. And, um, which obviously you've wrestled with and you've talked about your, your grief and your guilt and always feeling, Mm -hmm. I think caregivers often feel like they should be doing more. Um, and that, yeah, it's true. And, and I really didn't have any resources, um, at my fingertips. I, I just kind of winged it and did it alone. And I didn't even think to where, I didn't have any idea where I could be looking for help. I didn't know. Um, I didn't even, they didn't do any research. It, you know, that was another thing that when I look back, I say, I might, maybe I could have done a little better on that, on that front. As a matter of fact, at the, um, on my website, which I'll talk about later, I put out some um, resources that people could go to for help with caregiving um, of all kinds of caregiving. So um, after I wrote the book, I realized that that would have been a helpful, something helpful for me, but I didn't have it at the time. And so I kind of like just muddled through what needed to get done and what the day-to-day of it, um, feeling very, um, very guilty and, and, overwhelmed by the situation, um, frustrated that I couldn't do more, that I couldn't control things. There was a lot of, of that lack of control over the situation that I had to deal with. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you're talking about the 50s and the 60s and, try, and trying to take care of your disabled sister and your family and everybody. And like today... Uh, there's so much information out there, so much support you can get online, on the net, uh, on and on. And you had none of it. And yet you still, that little, that felt guilty or feel guilty or, well, now I, maybe not, you have acceptance that well, you, yeah, you should have done more. And in the context of being so isolated is is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. Right. But, so the 50s and 60s was, you know, growing up, but when, when Judy went into the home, it was already 2005, and I felt like, looking back, I felt like I should have had, I should have been able to find resources, I should have been able to get some help, um, so so there, I was in the dark, and, and part of that was growing up in that environment of not having anybody to turn to, of not knowing where to turn, of not having things at your fingertips um, the way we do now on, on the internet. You know, growing up, I didn't have the internet. So even though it was 2005 and the internet was alive, I didn't really know how to use it very well. And so I think that was a piece of, of what was going on. Now, I know that your husband died. Um, and mm-hmm. I think you talk about that was kind of the impetus or the motivation for taking a look at all of what had happened to you and even, and write and finally thinking about writing this book. 
what kind of a support was he when he was alive? Yeah. He was a tremendous support. Um, he, he, in every way. And, um, he, he, he's the one who really started thinking about how someday Judy's going to need to go into a home. He started the conversation that neither my mother nor I wanted to discuss, wanted to hear about, wanted to think about. Um, we preferred living in the world of denial where this is, you know, situation was just going to be great and continue on forever. And, um, and my husband felt that obviously this wasn't going to be forever. And at some point Judy was going to need to be cared for, you know, the home wouldn't be sufficient anymore. I mean, my mother wasn't going to live forever. And then what were we going to do? So he started, um, talking about, you know, we should start looking, which is where I originally found the place where Judy ended up. Um, it was originally run by UCP, United Supreme Palsy, and, um, and my mother and I went to look at it, and my mother was not ready to place Judy at that point, and so we didn't, and then, but ultimately when the time came for, we were forced to place her, I had that place in mind. And so he, he really was supportive in, um, in getting the whole process started and continuing it going. Well, this is what we need to do. This is, you know, you have to do this and it will be fine and it will be okay. And he gave me a lot of emotional support in that sense. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to work out. And even though in the end he didn't think it was going so well himself, um, <laughs> but he did give me that that support. And then the support of he would go and pick up my mother when she went, you know, she started when Judy first went into the home, she lived with us for a week or so, and then she went back to her own apartment in Queens, and he would go and pick her up and bring her to the home and then and bring her home again and um, just do a lot of that back and forth. Um, he was a tremendous, tremendous support in that. Well, listening to his, obviously, everything he did to support you emotionally and actually just physically everything, but it really helps to have someone in the family who has a somewhat a distance from the person, perhaps a, a further distance away from than say you with your sister to give you that, to kind of motivate you to do stuff and isn't kind of bogged down in the emotional relationship that you had with your sister or that your mother had with your sister. Uh, it makes a big difference. I, I have a yes. question. Yeah. What would you say to people like, because, you know, you're talking about your guilt and you should have done this and you, it sounds to me like you did a, a whole lot, more than most people do. And uh, given, as I say again, the context of the 50s and 60s, what would you say to people? What should they do when they are in a caregiving position and um, they're with all these responsibilities and all the stuff in terms of like how, where to get the support and uh, how to kind of take a look at your feelings and examine them and, and uh, not go into denial, which is kind of, I think, a common thing that many of us do. So I, I guess I'm saying mm -hmm. you've been through this. Yeah. Um, I think what, what helped me was actually getting some therapy and, um, you know, just finding somebody to talk to, whether it's a social worker or a psychologist, um, somebody that you can talk to about your feelings and, 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 it puts it into pers uh, perspective, and this is what happened, you know, with me afterwards. And this is 
why I was able to let go of, of uh, that guilt was that I, I had someone to speak to, and this goes beyond, this was after my husband had died. So that was the reason why I went into therapy. I didn't think I needed it when Judy was going, when I was going through this with Judy. I thought nobody could understand what I was going through. I'm doing this all alone. This Nobody's like Judy. She's very unique in her disability, and nobody could understand, um, you know, what was... You know what she was like, what I was going through, or anything like that. So I never even attempted to get any kind of help. But I think it's really important that you that one does get help. And so from wherever the channels that they can find, and and there's a lot of resources online that they can find. There's a lot of organizations that help with caregivers, and um, just to have somebody to talk about it with allowed me to realize that. You know, I, I did do the best job I could, and um, I, I did everything I could do. And so um, I was able to let go of, of the guilt that I had. There was We had no real choices, and, um, and that was another thing that I think it helped me with to realize that sometimes you're just not in control of situations, and you have to do the best you can. And so that's... Um, that was a big, a big help by being able to talk to somebody and, and, and get that, that back and forth feedback of me explaining what I feel and, and then the, the back from the therapist say, you know, asking me questions about, well, what would, you know, what about this and what about that and, and pointing out to me things, even from my childhood, uh, of realizing that the effect that Judy did have on me. Um, growing up, um, that came from the therapy. A lot of that came from therapy as well. So I think that is a big, a big, um, plus that. Yeah. Therapy, therapy, and more therapy is always helpful and ongoing therapy. And as a, uh, a formal, former, I should say, therapist counselor, you can always go back to therapy. You know, it's not something that you, Mm -hmm. you know, when you get in trouble again, emotionally, you feel bad, you can go back into therapy. Um, which I think, yeah, which is a good thing. And uh, what about the fact that you were a daughter, you know, like daughters say, do you think that because you were a daughter that more was expected? I mean, I know you were a twin, but also as a daughter expected to do more, to help out more, um, than say any of the siblings, the male siblings in your family. Um, well, as as a child and as a teenager, I think um, I wanted to take on the role of of being, um, you know, helping with Judy's care. I would dress her, I would change her diaper, I would feed her quite often. That was part of of what I wanted to do. Now, I mean, I could say that maybe that was because as a a potential mother someday, you know, that was what was in me. I, I'm not sure if that made it different from my brothers being potential fathers someday, yeah. but, um, but I did have that, that um, more so than they did. They were not involved in, in that part of her, in her care in that way. And so, you know, again, I don't know if that's because I was a daughter or just because I was the closest in age or because it's just my personality. It's hard to say. Um, but I think that when it came to when we were adults and Judy needed to go into the home, even and even in general as adults, I always lived um, geographically closest. So even when I moved out to Long Island, it was still, you know, within a 30-minute you know, uh, car ride and I would be in Queens. 
And um, so geographically, I lived closer. I saw more of Judy. And um, and so when it came time when she ended up in the home, it kind of like became my responsibility. And, and I took it on as my responsibility more so. I, I always conferred with my brothers and my mother on any kind of big decisions that needed to be made. But... Um, but basically, I was the one uh, who who really took, you know, charge of the care, and um, and I think that again, it, it it fell on me partly because I was geographically closest, partly because I am I am the daughter. I think that is a part of it, and I think partly because I was her twin, and so we were the closest. You know, we had the closest relationship. I'm, we only have a few minutes left, but I just kind of want to comment. It would seem to me that with all the experience you had with your sister, that uh, you have three sons and a grand uh, a granddaughter. With all your yes. experience, you must be fabulous at it. I mean, you really, you really got a lot of training um, for motherhood and grandmotherhood, um, I would assume. Um, yeah. I guess so. I was also in early childhood teacher, so I have a yeah. lot of experience with little kids. Um, they're my favorite age, little kid, little ones. Yeah. But um, unfortunately, I don't get to see my granddaughters often as I would like because they live in Washington, D.C., and I live in Westchester County, New York. So, um, but I, I try. I do try. try. Well, it's been great talking to you today, and it is a good, it, it is a really compelling story, I should say. And I think it would be very helpful, obviously, to many people who will find themselves in similar situations that you found yourself in. And uh, so I have been talking to Debbie Chin Morris, and she is the author of We Used to Dance, Loving Judy, My Disabled Twin. So tell us, where do we go? What websites to go to to get more information about the book and about you? Okay, so my website is Debbie Chine, uh, pronounced Chine, by the way, Debbie Chine Morris, oh, and <laughs> that's okay. And I've been and pronouncing it Chine the whole way. Yes, Chine. Yeah. <laughs> very, very common for, yep. for people to not know how to pronounce. But okay. um, it's spelled D-E-B-B-I-E-C-H-E-I-N-M-O-R-R-I-S dot com. And um, you can find information about the book, information about myself, and information of some resources, some books, and some websites that um, you can go to if you need some help with uh, caregiving. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Great information. Thank and you. I, yeah, we all really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> <laughs> 